Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sittner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with artists and creators from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul through Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. And if you've got something going on around the Twin Cities you'd like to talk about, we want to hear from you. Email us at badmouthtc at gmail.com. Mouthing Off is sponsored by Minnesota Playlist, the digital destination for live performing arts. Producers can find talent to work with. Directors can cast productions with audition ads. Teachers can find students with a classified. And audiences can find the perfect show to attend on the state's largest calendar of theater and dance shows. Find out more at minnesotaplaylist.com. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, we're back with another episode of Mouthing Off, the theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company. I'm Kevin Couchman, joined by Mari Sittner. Mari, how are you? I'm doing good. It was a gloomy Sunday. I'm ready for a really ooky spooky Halloween episode of Mouthing Off. Doing great. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'll be ooky, and then Amanda, you be spooky. <laughs> so we also have Amanda. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm also very excited to get creepy, creepy. Let's go. Let's talk horror. Let's talk fake blood. Let's do it. We have two guests uh, with us, uh, Nissa Nordland and Duck Washington. And I have it on authority from Nissa that she was just covered in, in stage blood uh, moments ago. Yes. Yes, I just completed uh, this afternoon. I, I did a performance of uh, my show, uh, Special Inlet's Kin. Um, and as spoiler, I, I do end up covered in blood at the end of this show. Probably more blood than I've ever had been on stage. I, I make my own stage blood, so uh, I love making it and making effects. Very cool. You know, before the show, Mari and I were were chatting about this restaurant that I used to frequent in Manhattan, where she lives now. And I, one of the old timers there, did practical effects for for movies. Maybe you've heard of them, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Oh. He he did the he he talked about having to go and get like horse blood or something for that. In, in any case, we're we're talking horror, and uh, and you're the artistic director of the of the Twin Cities Horror uh, Theater Festival. Yes. Yes. Yes, I awesome. am. All right. How long have you done that? Um, I've been the artistic. I was co-artistic director starting in 2020 during, of course, the start of the plague. And uh, we did a virtual festival that year. Um, and Duck was also uh, being co-executive director at the time. And then I was co-artistic director. And then um, they then uh, the other co left and I became just the full artistic director in 2021 and have been since then for people who don't know what it is uh, what's the what's the pitch you you do horror horror theater once a year i mean what's the story yeah. yeah. Um, the Twin Cities Horror Festival actually happens always in October as much as possible. We try to aim for before Halloween and it's about uh, 10 days of horror. Uh, so we have like this year, it's October 19th through the 29th. 
Um, and in that 10 days, we have 11 shows that rotate in one venue um, that people can come. And it is a charcuterie board of horror. Um, it is a trick-or-treat bag of fun-sized treats because um, each show is only one hour long. So folks can come and literally they can get a five frights pass and watch five shows and they're all going to be different. So we pride ourselves on having horror, um, you know, be about cross artistic mediums. So you could see puppetry, you could see regular theater play, but, or you could see cabaret, musical. Um, we've had film festival, short films before, um, but we're open to dance, anything, as long as it stays in the horror genre. And we definitely love the multi-facets of horror. Like, I, I think when we say horror, a lot of people think, oh, just gory slasher, Saw movie, et cetera. Um, but horror is so much bigger than that. There's so many things to it. You got psychological, you got sci-fi, you got, uh, you know, act slasher, you got comedy. Um we got a lot of things there. So um, so it, you can explore. And there's, of course, all the different topics that come with it as well. Um, Duck and I are both writers and producers at the festival um, before we came into our role. So, Duck, do you have anything to add there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, like I, I came in around the same time that Nissa did. And the, the festival it has just been a true and 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 proud part of my existence over the last several years. Um, Nissa and I are both uh, not only not only administrators for the festival, but also um, artists and creators ourselves that really love the horror genre. Um, and and it's amazing to see um, what all the different groups bring to the festival. There's so many different uh, kinds of performance groups um, that come. So some shows, you know, might be horror adjacent, um, but be more, you know, information based or comedy based. We have somebody, you know, who's regularly performed at the festival that does a, 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 a like a humorous PowerPoint informational uh, presentation about monsters every year. Um, we've had children shows um, uh, in the festival that like I, I did a, a version of the Legend of Sleepy Hollow a few years ago that was, you know, accessible to kids. Uh, we've had um, some cabaret acts this year. We have a group called Songversations that, that you know, delve into witchery, but really kind of give uh, more of a cabaret kind of folksy feel to it uh, more so than trying to scare people, but just kind of embracing uh, the ha Halloween and the idea of witches um, in that aspect. And then you have um, the really graphic shows, the shows where someone's getting skin pulled off or an eyeball popped yeah. out, you know, yeah. uh, on stage in front of you. But there's something for everybody. Um, and let me tell you, when you see an eyeball get popped out in front of you on stage, it's amazing. <laughs> so amazing that's i think duck is nailing it like and duck if i i hope we said this already is our executive director he makes this festival go um and i love working with duck i feel it's such a privilege and he's oh. also our ticketing director he has two big jobs yeah i um uh you know it's it's a it's a lot of work to get the festival running every year but um um but we love it so much so so putting in putting in the 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 blood and sweat to make it happen um yeah i'm more, I'm more than happy to do and i'm sure nissa is as well 100 <laughs> percent. yeah and this is at tchorrorfestival.com uh for people who are looking to find this so you two you're in the throes of this right now 
The festival Correct. is happening. Well, thank you for making time uh, for for our show uh, in, in the in the middle of all this. It's, you must be very busy. Uh, I, I am busy. Yeah. I'm I'm literally sitting outside of the theater right now, talking to you from my car because it's too <laughs> loud in there for me to to talk to you. Um, although it might be fun to get some of the screams and wails in the background. <laughs> yeah, we, especially yeah. right now because it's dangerous productions right now, and they are our gory slasher. Uh, pick of the fest like they were they're probably our bloodiest show but we have actually this year quite a few blood shows uh more than we've had in the past we've folks were looking for it and it happened this year so but not all of them are bloody (laughs) go ahead kevin well, uh, I was going to say that we, uh, I know your work, uh, Nissa, through through the Fringe. Um, I Amanda and I saw Stabby Stab Stab, uh, and uh, that was quite quite fun. Uh, I, so you do you consider yourself an actor first, uh, a playwright first? Like, where do you situate yourself in terms of theater? That's a great question. Um, All of the above. Thank you so much for coming and, and yeah. seeing Stabby Stab Stab and supporting. That show started at the Horror Festival. Oh, um, cool. uh, last year, we were in the studio. Um, we have two venues there. Um, I, I'll talk a little bit about that. I'll answer your question first, and I can mention that. Um, yeah, I, I would say I... You know, it's pretty tied between playwright and actor, but I do, I've been a writer primarily most of my life, like since I was a little girl, that's what I wanted to be was a writer. Um, And I wrote all the time, little stories and little things before I ever, ever set foot on a stage because I was quite um, shy, which most people don't believe these days, but I was Mm -hmm. and, um, and secret introvert. And so I... I, I used to write all the time, but I never thought there was a thing I could do with writing theater. Like I didn't connect that dot. I would write short stories and poetry um, and RPGs. <laughs> and so, um, but as I got older and started, I did my first high school play when I was 17. I was like, oh, I'd love to do this. This is awesome. And there, I found this interview I did when I was like a junior in high school with our like school newspaper. And it said, what do you want to do in 10 years? And I said, I want to write and be in my own plays. Let's go. Okay. Got you, 17-year-old Nissa. We're here. (laughs) Yes. That is awesome. That's tremendous. Uh, And Duck is also writer and an actor and a director. Uh, Duck, which which hat do you wear primarily if, if you were to pick one? So, so I'm, I've always been, I've always been a person who likes to put his finger in a lot of pies. I just really like to, to be busy and involved. Um, I kind of model like the old Renaissance men that were like, I can do everything. I can build a, I can build a boat and, and farm and, you know, what I do all of the things. Um, and like, to me, they, they kind of all support each other. Um, uh, knowing how to write a play makes me, makes me a better actor. Um, knowing how to direct makes me, um, uh, a better, a, you know, a better writer. Um, uh, all of those things kind of support each other. I also do audio design, which is really, just really important to horror. Um, I, I do a lot of, I teach improv here in town as well. Like basically anything that I could possibly be doing, I do. And I don't know that, I know I don't know that I love anything specifically more than anything else, but I know that when I'm doing one thing, I miss all the other things. 
100% agree. And I also do sound design and Duck and I have actually done several audio horrors um, mm -hmm. that are so that we've like written and then often did voice acting for ourselves and then did all sound design and editing, um, which is so fun because it really pulls all those things. Like, at least for me, I know. And Duck, I think you might feel the same way. It feels all these things that we love and you get to put it all together in one project. It's wild. And that was for Dead North, which was a local podcast, actually, that focused on horror and audio horror uh, run by Sean Dillon and Hot Chocolate Media. So Maybe those are online. If you'd yeah. like to catch them, they're still out there and you can hear them for they, free. They're called Dead North. Dead, Dead North. North. Yes. Hmm. And Blight Christmas is the other thing you might see. Um, that's how it started. Blight christmas um and then it kind of expanded to doing more horror um like just around the around the year versus just uh the holiday test season i was uh really surprised when we saw your play that at at your treatment of the the slender man story uh for people who aren't familiar with that do you care to can you can you speak to it just briefly and i and i also want to ask well, maybe you describe it first, and then I'll follow up with a question because I have I have uh, I have a question for you. But first, sure, what what happened? <laughs> yeah, so about Slenderman in general, or about the the girls? About about Slenderman and the girls. I mean, in in ninety seconds, right? I mean, you know, great. Yeah. Um, I like this. This is like the elevator pitch uh, of the show. Um, yeah. So in Waukesha, Wisconsin, back in 2014, there were two 12-year-old girls that believed that in order to be a proxy to Slenderman, they needed to sacrifice one of their friends or someone they loved. Um, they fell in love with the idea of Slenderman on Creepypasta. Um, and so that actually happened. Their 12-year-old friend um got stabbed um multiple times by by them by one girl actually by one uh by morgan geyser who is a real person <laughs> um oh. and so like both of the both of the gals are real it's anisa weir and morgan geyser um and so that's a, it was a very interesting personal story but it really kind of rose from isolation loneliness bullying um and a lot of being a, a teenage preteen girl in in our society and the internet I, yes. it's almost like the internet is the monster in a way mm. and uh i thought that was handled very deftly and i was i was very impressed with the with the production i i i thought the um your collaborators who were doing the music live mm -hmm. really incredible i mean it's i've seen theater all over the world it's some of the best theater i've 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 seen it was very oh, <laughs> oh really very much. that's very very, nice. very wrong i mean it had it was very in yeah very powerful i i i left feeling um kind of mixed up about it a little bit i mean it was very uh, kind of re like traumatizing in a yeah, way it's very like, very I, unsettling yeah, yeah, yeah i felt i i was like oh god i remember being you know and i have a 14 or 15 year old daughter myself and i'm just like oh my gosh you remember being you know 12 13 14 years old those years you know Ugh. and th that play really that production really evoked that so yeah yeah so if you ever get a chance to see it if you didn't catch it at fringe or at the horror fest the year before um please get out i don't know if you have any plans to to remount it but stabby stab stab fantastic <laughs> We really want to. Um, that I would say as a as special when lit my in like writing, like that's one of my 
things that you nailed. I, I really like pushing the boundaries of humanity and, and, and kind of exposing what makes us uncomfortable, but also relating back to it um, versus, re, you know, recoiling from it um, and just kind of hitting that the, the fact that it could be us like this really horrific situation could be I could have grown up to be Morgan it had I had the right elements in my life. Right. Um, and so it was all about that whole, like, how far will you go for friendship? And if you're in a toxic relationship, what could push you to the, the depths of your own shadow self? Um, so I, a lot of my plays really kind of go into that territory. So thank you. Um, uh, my collaborators also on that, I just want to give a shout out to the Winding Sheet outfit because they co-produced that with Special When Lit. So it's directed by Amber Bjork, who is just a wonderful director. Also has a show in this year's festival. So just if you like uh, liked our work there, Special When Lit and Winding Sheet have two separate shows this year. So hope you'll, you'll come support. Um, and then the musicians were Derek Lee Miller and Sam Landman, who are just wonderful. And of course, Caleb Barakfeld played opposite me it was very stylish and uh just uh, i i felt like it, you used the space so well yeah i could have i could have lived with that being a 90 minute play uh well we were wanting you know? to expand it um there's yeah. talks about us me expanding it um mm -hmm. amber bjork was the director and she really really nailed the space use and we do want to uh, we've talked about it we feel when we ended the run we actually performed consecutively every night for fringe so thank you for coming uh again and one of the things we ended we just went is it over and we all didn't feel like it was it was mm -hmm. like derek sam and kayla and i all had gone out after and we were like do we feel like this is the end of stabby and we we're like no it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like it so well i will mm -hmm. let you know if it comes back yeah we'll keep an eye on and, and you're you know this is an, an open door on this podcast so you know oh. when you revive stabby stab stab you're always welcome to come on and talk about it and duck i'm not uh familiar with with your work or your writing are you are you writing something now? Uh, maybe give me give our listener listeners an idea of what you're what you're all about. Yeah, so so absolutely. Um, I I've been writing and producing shows in the Twin Cities for for several years now. Um, uh, uh, the probably the thing I'm most notorious for is a few years ago I wrote a play called Caucasian Aggressive Pandas and Other Mulatto Tales, which got banned in Burnsville because they were uncomfortable with the title and became a national the censorship story, um, which was uh, which was which was fairly interesting and uh, uh, bizarre. Um, uh, but have done several shows since then, um, uh, including. Uh, just did a show in the Minnesota Fringe Festival this last year called uh, My Only Hope for a Hero, which was um, uh, about bravery and courage and me kind of interpreting that as a one person show uh, through through situations from my own life, um, plus kind of leaning into some 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 pop culture stuff um, uh, as as well. Um, in the beginning stages of putting together a show, hopefully for next year's horror festival. Um, uh, so fingers crossed on that. But but we do do a lottery. There's no even me as the executive director. I'm not guaranteed to get in. Um, uh, so so you know, hopefully very. Hopefully, you know, I want to make sure that I follow. I you know that everyone has the same shot that I do. I make my pitch the same as everybody else. And then there we have a wonderful curation committee uh, headed by Nissa as the artistic director that pick which shows happen uh, in the festival each year. 
Yeah. I, can I just say that Duck's solo show was one, like, literally one of the best solo shows I have ever seen. I've seen a lot of solo shows, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah, I just got to give that a shout out. It was, it, I, I, I don't want to say it was my favorite show of Fringe because I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but I, I really loved Duck's show at Fringe. And, uh, I recommend if Duck ever remounts it or takes it and tours it, that any, P.S. You should. <laughs> I hope you will. Um, it is, it's just wonderful. It is hands down. It, yeah, I wept, but it is also the writing. The, uh, the direction from Jenna Young was wonderful. And Duck being, like, delivering it. He's such an engaging performer. It was beautiful. You can't, I mean, it's an audio medium, but I'm blushing right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll treat my so, friend. I think that's so great because a lot of, uh, you know, beautiful shows at Fringe, I, I hope people are brave enough and can and take them elsewhere to share them with others because uh we had a i lived in dc for about eight years and that's a really good uh they have a really strong fringe festival there the capital uh dc capital fringe is great new york fringe but even edinburgh and we talked about that on the pod before and so good luck and and i hope you take it take it far and wide and share yeah. it everywhere. I think I think it's definitely possible. Um, I I built that show specifically so that I would have something that was tourable, you know, that I didn't mm -hmm. have to to pay or house a cast, you know, that sort of thing. I got a little ambitious, so there's like a lot of set pieces and stuff for that. But it's but it is definitely it is definitely doable and something I'm really um, key to to exploring um, if I can make it work with all of the other things that I have going on. Yeah. And, and I think it's important for a lot of artists around the country because we are so diverse just to see, hey, what's going on in the Midwest? You know, what's going on in Minneapolis, St. Paul? And and who are those writers and who are those artists and what are they talking about? What's happening in that community right now? And that's that's why I love Fringe so much. And, and when you get to see and experience shows like that in, you know, D.C. or you know, Texas or New York or Edinburgh or wherever you go or Chicago, it's always a really cool thing to experience what other people in those artistic communities are experiencing. So that's awesome. Yeah. Break a leg, dude. I hope I hope uh, I hope you take it. Take it far and wide. Well, well, thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the website for tchorrorfestival.com right now, and it seems that you make it very clear that all of the, the ticket sales go to artists, which I'm impressed by. T tell us a little bit about, about that. And, and yeah. 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 So, um, that's it's uh, we've always like driven ourselves on being really an artist focused festival. Um, and, and fortunately, we've been, we've been able to to hold by the standard of we want to when somebody comes and buys a ticket um um that all of that ticket like goes back to the artist minus like credit card fees right um and so um and so and so that's that's been a, a really big goal of ours which means that we have to get a little creative about funding the festival generally um you know we do um, we do some some varied fundraisers throughout the year to help pay for the for the rest of the of the festival, you know, we, um, 
um, have been have benefited from um, a few grants over the past few years, um, specifically from MRAC, which has been very helpful so that we can use that money to kind of support our operations so that when when people buy tickets, that that money goes to the artists. Um, but it does mean that we have tight budgets and and, you know, um, you know, like when things like a pandemic happens, you sweat a little bit about, you know, like like how can you be successful and profitable and keep things going um, on such a shoestring. Um, we rely a lot on volunteers. Um, we have a very involved volunteer board. Um, we do have we do have paid staff at the festival, including uh, myself and, and Nissa as well. But I think um, but I think we're, we're we're still donating a little bit more than a. Uh, um, than our than our salary range would would typically lend um, as well as as well too. Um, so if you come out to the festival or maybe you're already a fan of the festival um, and you want to keep it going and thriving, I really encourage people to uh, to donate when they can. Um, we uh, do uh, for our Give to the Max Day. If people don't aren't familiar with Give to the Max, it's a big fundraising drive in Minnesota for nonprofits, and we. Um, we dedicate all of our Give to the Max drive to supporting um, BIPOC artists. So, um, uh, so we actually don't even use that that money specifically um, uh, to to fund our operations as well. But we use that money to to make sure that we have diverse voices on stage. So. Um, other uh, groups do pay a small producer fee to to be involved in the festival. We use some of those some of that money to like waive the fees so that there's a no cost entry for um, groups that have like a writer or a director, um, a leadership team that's uh, predominantly people of color, um, um, which we think is very helpful. We use that money to support um, uh, people of color being able to be a part of our curation team so that they have a hand in picking the art that goes up on stage as well. Um, and then basically any other ways we can find to, to use that money to help um, our communities of color be involved and participatory in our, in our festival, um, we do. Because we think about, you know, horror for so long, and I hear this all the time from even being a part of the curation panels or people that talk about horror of like, how siloed it used to be you know and still is in some ways of like you know it was very much white male dominated genre uh just throw it out there and um and horror is for everybody fear is universal there's no reason that it should be so siloed like that so duck and i have really worked making sure that people know that that we're a welcome space and we want all voices on our stages that is absolutely important and making those artistic decisions so our curation panel has a wide range of demographics as well as artistic mediums that they work in so it could be artistic directors from other theaters it could be lighting designers it could be stage managers actors other writers um, people that are multiple hats like Duck and I. Um, so like it's it's definitely important to us that the folks making those decisions are coming from lots of different backgrounds um, and that we are ensuring that our festival is universal, that people can come and know that it's not just one voice that they're going to hear. Yeah. 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 So you sound like you're very mission oriented, artist focused uh and probably doing this festival on uh 
for probably doing it for less than than a single artistic director salary at one of the big major regional theaters, which has been a recurring theme on our on our show when we sort of noticed how much money is actually out there, how little of it seems to make its way to artists. And I, I know that's an ongoing conversation um, that a lot of people are having. So I think it's cool that you're able to do that. I Can I get back to that question that I had put a pin in, uh, Nissa, around... Um, uh, Slenderman researching that play. What did you like? Did you come away with an idea of like where, hmm, how to say this, where we are now in relation to the internet? Like, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts and feelings about that? I mean, you know, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, I, I think about, I mentioned my daughter, you know, she's, she's got a phone and everything. So, I mean, we, we give these things, these are like supercomputers that we just, you know, give to 13 year olds. It's almost like handing somebody a loaded weapon. Um, I guess I'm just asking wh- what insight did you gain from the process of writing that play, uh, you know, about, I guess the internet as, as a beast. Yeah. I, I, you know, one of the things about, that I really felt with the girls, um, with Anissa and with Morgan was that there was so much going on in their life that led them to the places that they were. And they found internet as a safe haven for, you know, for weirdos. And, you know, like, and then I mean, in the best ways, I'm a weirdo. And so like, it, it was a place that we Tell could, yeah, right. So like, that's a, it's not like, oh, you know. like the um, yeah. but it was a sanctuary place. And I know as a teenager myself in a very growing internet time, like the, it was, you know, still desktop computers, maybe one in the house that we're all sharing on a landline, um, you know, like that in that, you know, you could find people that weren't like you um, you or, you know, excuse me, you could find people that are like you where you don't live. And it really opens you up from if you are a, a lonely person, a lonely kid, you could find like a place there for yourself. And for me, Morgan and Anissa found that place online in a lot of ways with creepypasta because they all they liked creepy things. Um, they liked horror. Again, I really related to these two characters, people. These are real people um, that I related to them very much because of that, uh, of what they were interested in. But but the Internet. um it just opened a door to what was already there in my perspective. Like they already had this love of darkness. It was there. It was inside them. Um, That's how they found each other was, you know, they connected at a bus stop for real. That's how they met, which is in the play. And when they connected that way, they found, you know, Anissa introduced Morgan to creepy pasta. And it was like, Oh wait, this is so cool. Cause it's all these monster things we love. Right. Um, and then Slender Man came into picture. And at first, it's very innocent. You know, Morgan had undiagnosed schizophrenia, early onset schizophrenia. And it's very rare. It's not a common thing for that young of of children to suddenly to get that diagnosis, um, even though it did run in her family. Um, they just didn't realize that when she said that ghosts were biting her, that she actually believed that 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 was a those are hallucinations versus dreams um and i i just think that though the internet was able to give more information you know because the whole slender man mythology 
is very much based on it's real, right? And and the kids write it a lot of the time, even where it's like, he's looking at me right now. I gotta run out of the house because it's happening right now. And it's very like in the moment, spontaneous, believable. So for and that's part of the fun. But if you don't know the line between reality and you know fiction, then it becomes sinister. And so for me, the, the kind of the hard, sad part about this whole thing is it might have been fine, you know, that they read these stories and that they engaged online. But the toxic element is a bit is where it gets to the obsession with each other. Um, you know, Anissa, you know, in the jealousy of friendship, because Morgan had her friend Bella. And in a lot of ways, I believe that Anissa wanted to be Morgan's main best friend. And Bella was. And she kind of used that as the motivation and i don't and they neither of them knew that morgan had had undiagnosed mental illness so i i do feel like that was a huge factor had that been different for morgan um if she knew what was happening that what reality was versus the fiction i think we might not have had this happen um this horrific event um so i would feel like internet might have is it's there but i feel like the true culprit of this is kind of like the fact of of toxic friendship and mm. and not really knowing the lines of play to reality and as a kid we we joke about death we talk about things that we may not fully understand because our literally our brains aren't formed fully yet you know like we really can't cognize all of it um but then when it's reality and you're holding a knife and you've stabbed your friend it suddenly realizes mm. this isn't a game it's no. not a game So I don't fully blame the internet. I definitely think that um, they, they just, they didn't have any other friends and then they ended up together and it was just a, a a leaf. It's a, it was a bad toxic combo. Yeah. It's so heavy because they made the monster real. They did. They did summon the Slender (laughs) man. Yes. They believed it for sure. Like they really wanted to believe it. Morgan definitely believed it. And I think that Anissa likes the idea of believing it and then kind of fell for it. It's like when you play imaginary games and suddenly it's not so imaginary anymore. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think Anissa, what happened to Anissa, unfortunately, uh, was like, oh, wait, killing people in video games is different than, um, you know, than reality. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, and we can go around the table here. Um and come to come to duck again but i want to ask want to ask you both what are your influences in in horror maybe maybe uh duck you, you just had to rattle off uh i suppose in film or literature where do you live there absolutely um uh i i grew up a huge fan of the works of uh hp lovecraft in a lot of ways um you know which uh, me being a brown person gets to be a little traumatic because he was definitely he was def he definitely was 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 racist. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, he was that's wicked, an understatement. Wicked racist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he was he was racist to a point that like that racists were like, all right, ease up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, he had a way of writing that I think of where he would describe the the horror people experienced as opposed to. Uh, the thing that they were looking at that I always found to be very fascinating uh, uh, as a writing form. And it was, and I also embraced him before I knew about, you know, his, his xenophobia kind of I, stuff. 
um, yeah. as well. Um, but that, that, but he was a big building block for me. Um, uh, I think um, that that a lot of the 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 horror films that I, I saw, you know, like in the eighties and nineties, I really love the the film Jacob's Ladder is one that that speaks to me. You know, it's not one a horror film that a lot of people know a lot about, but uh, it's one that is, is like that like latches on to me. Um, uh, you know, I loved I loved the listening to scary scary stories as a kid things like the legends of sleepy hollow or you know the stories of edgar Allan poe those short stories that i think you know even some of the the grimmer versions of Grimm's fairy tales um i think i think some of those the spookiness in that really kind of spoke to me as well growing up and forming my my horror language but uh, i'd say that a lot of the horror that i create now um really kind of leans into the 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 questions of 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 humanity you know like like the last play the last horror play i wrote uh was produced last year a show called all your white darlings uh which was a play about uh a black man who goes to work for uh a corporation on a private island that's essentially all white people um when a a series of serial murders starts happening uh, that tend to have that ha tend to have leanings that that they were racially motivated and so everyone in his community starts to suspect him of being the one to do these murders and then the society and the world around him really starts to change and then the play asks questions about um really the safety of white spaces of existing in white spaces um with a lot of with with a lot of blood and and fun tied into it as well um but like like using horror to like to like to like poke a finger into uh like a social justice issue or a societal issue like that kind of a thing fascinates me um uh in in regards to horror uh as well like thinking about what people would do in specific situations um what about our our actual world is is scary in its own right you know before you add mm. the monsters and the aliens into it well in this is just top of mind because i saw the film just a couple days ago but the new the new scorsese is mm. uh, in, in a sense it's a horror film <laughs> like i i don't know if anybody's seen it or not but i am um, i'm really eagerly wanting to see it but because it opened during this festival i have not made it to the no yet. no spoilers <laughs> it's a lot of things he's it, on it, the radio in the yeah. car you guys i don't think he's gonna have time to go to a movie just yet <laughs> but you know give it a few days <laughs> horror as a as a genre is so um uh, tricky because when when it hits it's the most incredible thing like famously right like you can make a quote a low budget horror movie and and print money for the rest of your days if you if you succeed and and it can serve um political you know sort of if you have if you have a, a voice and you feel politically you know about something you can use it as a as a medium but it can also just be really really poorly done too <laughs> do you know yeah. so it's like but when but when there's a great horror i i think about film um i mean i i i'll have to confess i'll i'll watch i watch the exorcist every year i watch rosemary's baby every year i just could keep going back uh to that to that well um and maybe I, you know, I can dovetail into sort of asking you, Nissa, about your influences and maybe what you go back to. Are there some movies or some some pieces of horror literature that you're always picking up? 
Um, I grew up as a huge Anne Rice fan. Like oh. I loved Anne Rice and my dad was an Anne Rice fan. And so I kind of always saw him holding her books and was always like, hmm. my dad's like, don't read this yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I started reading them when I was in high, you know, uh, probably about when I was like 13, uh, I read my first Anne Rice and I read them out of order. I read Pandora from the Vampire Chronicles and, uh, I was kind of scared of Interview with Vampire because I watched it when I was like six when it first came out. Because my dad, my dad always was a very uh, liberal father and he would be like, horror movies aren't real. So you can watch them with me. My dad listening to this right now is like, come on, Nissa. <laughs> but I mean, like, but it's true. He was like, he would tell me that. He's like, honey, it's okay. So it's not real. Like, this is, this is production. It's not, you know, it's imagination. It's art. It's all these things. It's okay. So at the interview with the vampire, he was so excited about it. He was like, look, it's Louis and Claudia. They're cuddling in a coffin. See, it's not scary. It's sweet. So then later, you know, when all of the gore and things happen, if you haven't seen Interview with the Vampire, I was like, ah! That movie does <laughs> not hold up. <laughs> like I, it's I hot yeah. take. I kind of <laughs> like it. There's also a new interview with Vampire right now. So I still need to watch that. Uh, so it's I, it's on my list like right now. So I want to get back to it. But it's um I I do kind of like I kind of like it. I like Kirsten Dunst as as Claudia. I choose I think for the fact that she's so young and did mm. such a great job at a hard yeah. part. Um I, that's why I'm very excited to see interview the new interview as well. Cause again, I am intrigued to see a young actress take on uh, it's, you know, you're playing a, a older woman trapped inside a young person's mm. body. So it's, it's mm. such an interesting thing. This um, and I were just talking yesterday about, about the, the new interview with the vampire, which I haven't, I haven't finished. Cause obviously we've addressed the fact that I'm busy, but it's very, <laughs> very much. A, I, I very much approve of it. What I've seen of it so far. I'm excited. So Anne Rice was huge for me. And in my newest show, Kin, I, I have to say, it's probably my most Anne Rice-like play um, because of just the themes that are involved. And uh, there's a lot more poetry kind of in it and the vibe of that. And um, it, it's more sensual as well. And Anne, of course, always was very sensual in her mm. horror. So um, and so I, I, I'm I happy about I'm like, oh, I can see my my inspiration <laughs> showing quite a bit there. Um, at Stephen King, uh, I have to say that as well. Cycle of the Werewolf was my was I read that when I was in fourth grade and I read the illustrated version. And there is a a, a an art piece inside of there in the middle where there is a police officer getting his face ripped off by a wolf and you can see it down to the jaw and muscle tendons it's it's imprinted in my brain i remember being like wow this is amazing uh and so that i have to i have to name that one it's a short book and i love that it's done by every chapter is a full moon so it's a monthly chapter mm. you know february march april and it's i i love the structure of it i love that specifically the version with the art really adds to it um so i have i gotta call them out and pet cemetery was also a movie i saw when i was too young to see it and judd is one of my favorite Ooh. characters in church the cat um so i i love i love those i will cite those two things um uh, but stylistically, it definitely Anne comes into play. And I also, even though she's not a horror writer, 
but I'm going to throw her out because she's a huge influence to me is, is Margaret Atwood who uh, did, of course, The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking of Douglas talking about like political and how horror can really be uh, a a vehicle for metaphor in our society and the horrors that are happening right now outside our doors. um, I feel like Margaret with her speculative fiction often does that. And that's something that she has those elements. And I love to, and she also pushes things really far. Sometimes we're just like, wah, ugh. And that's, I, I, I draw on that quite a bit. Um, Goosebumps I grew up with. Are you afraid oh, yeah. of the dark? Yes. Come on. Let's go. Yeah. Please. 90s Goosebumps. I know they just revamped it for Disney. And just like Duck, I'm too busy. And I got to start the first one and I haven't gotten to watch anymore. But it's Say Cheese and Die. And it made me laugh because Ryan Gosling's in the original Say Cheese and Die in the 1990s. Ken himself. Yes. So I was like, I got to. I was like, I don't know if they're going to be able to beat Ken, but I'll, I'll check it out. Um, so I, I love those, those shows. I still, I, I would like to write a Goosebumps style children's show for Horrorfest someday. If I could, I would like to propose that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say those are big influences on me. Creep show is a big influence. Um, and, uh, you know, later years, uh, Robert Eggers, who is the director of The Witch or The Vavitch. Um, and that, is, that is one of my favorite films. Mine Witch. too! A banger. It is so good. It is. You'll, I think you'll like my plays then, Kevin. You'll have, yeah. you, I mean, you like Stabby. You'll, you yeah. should come see Kin. Um, uh, but it is very much, that is Black Phillips, one of my all-time favorite characters ever. Um, and I just, I love his style of using folklore and then expanding it into a, a new story. Like, cause all of the, all of the Vavitch is based on actual folklore. And Kevin, you have Vasilisa, correct? Yeah. I wrote a, an adaptation of the Vasilisa story, um, some years ago. Yeah. You, 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 your, your, uh, mouth is wide. You're expressing so cool. all shock. Are you familiar with that story? Just a little bit, but I love that you were writing and adapting something in that vein. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun working on that play. Um, yeah, it's sitting it's sitting in my uh, in my uh, drawer, right? Kevin, yeah, is this what? a horror fest submission? I don't know. Oh my Maybe God. Oh, future yeah. horror, oh, future horror submit, fest submission. Submit. <laughs> you must submit. What's up, Mari? Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, you mentioned. Roger Eggers, which I think is really interesting because I feel like horror is having such a moment right now. And there's a lot of like elevated horror going around. And we've actually spoken to quite a few people around the Twin Cities who are interested in horror and horror theater and horror audio. Why is it having such a moment right now? Like what's going on? What do you think? I think it's society. I mean, I, I also, I can't not mention Jordan Peele. Like I, I love Key and Peele when they're a comedy duo. I, 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 I won't swear. I love Key and Peele so much. They're some of my, like, literally, if I'm having a bad day, I have the DVDs and I'll put them in and just watch a bunch of Key and Peele because I think they're comedy magicians. But then when Jordan came out and started making horror films, I was like, of course you're great at this because it just made sense because comedy and horror do have so much, uh, such a strong relationship with the visceral experience for the audience member. Um, watching it but I I think that we're seeing these people like Robert Eggers and Jordan Peele coming out and showing the new side of horror of how uh, using these elements of right here in society 
or being able to say, hey, we can reinvigorate the genre with stories and, and visuals that people may not have seen before. I'm not sure what exactly. I think, you know, obviously with Jordan, he's coming out and he's showing a lot of things that have been happening. These things aren't new, you know, but he is telling them in a new way that's really getting people engaged and opening the door. Um, and that with Robert, like he's kind of tells older stories, but the way he tells them is a very dark, sinister, often slow burn uh, look at ourselves in the mirror and it's and it's uncomfortable but also very pretty i enjoy i'll just say i also really love beautiful horror because <laughs> you know black philip it's gorgeous the ending of the vivich is gorgeous it's beautiful to look at but it's also absolutely horrifying and so is Anne rice so i love that but duck do you have thoughts yeah. about that where the the renaissance of horror yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think there's a few different things that play into it. One is, is it, it's very, it's a lot, like you had kind of hinted at earlier, it's, it's, you can make, most horror movies are made on a much smaller budget than most big blockbusters, but tend to have fairly large returns. Um, and so I think, I think some of the studios or even some of the small studios are like, this is a movie we can bang out that we don't have to, to put you know, 200, you know, million dollars into, we can put, you know, $4 million into it, or maybe even some of the best horror movies are like $85,000, you know, like what? the Blair Witch costs almost no money. Um, you know, you know, did you see, sorry, sorry, Doc, did you see uh, Skin, Skinamarink? That did I haven't really seen. That? Not yet. Okay. I've heard about yeah. it. They made it for like $15,000. In any case, you, you, you were saying. Yeah. yeah. So I think, so I think, I think that there's a, a monetary force that drives horror into, into our, our general mindset. But I think also one of the reasons that people attach onto it is because, because every, because nothing feels like it's working right, you know? And like, I, I think that there's like an, an, like in society today that, that everybody's like, like, I feel like things could turn and be disastrous at any moment. Um, and that this kind of like, like the, the idea of exploring like catastrophe, zombie apocalypse, you know, like, I think, I, I think it feels, I think it feels more real and more engaging than it does uh, at times when, when there, there isn't such unrest, if that makes mm. sense. And A24 is killing it, y'all. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love that A24 has been really helping folks make these new horror and new movies in general. Like I, it's like the the way and the voices that are coming in to make these pieces of art. Um, I feel like just opportunity is finally being widened, and that is way overdue. And so I think that's why we're also seeing so many really great things coming out as we're finally hearing it from people that we didn't get to hear it from before. Mm. Have you have you seen uh, Lamb? The, the I want to. That's on my list. Eerie. I have seen Lamb. I have yeah. seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Good. So you that that I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that again because that was my I wasn't prepared for for what that was. Um well we're we're coming into the home stretch here. Uh this has been a, a real pleasure. We could we could talk for another five hours with the two of you. Although you probably don't have you don't have a, a, enough time. You're busy. Um can you duck, can you give us your I guess your 
your URLs, where, where people can find you. Socials. Um, yeah. Social, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you can find the you can find the horror festival at tchorrorfestival.com. Um, I don't have a specific a specific website, but a lot of the groups that I work with do. Um, I'm a member of Blackout Improv, which is an all black improv group in town. Uh, you can find them online uh, and and on Facebook. Um, uh, I'm a member of a group called Fearless Comedy Productions, which does uh, a ton of a ton of uh, com- comedy based theater around town. Um, I run I run a company when I produce under my own label uh, that's under a group called Rogues Gallery Arts. Um, you can also find Rogues Gallery Arts online. Um, the Encyclopedia Show uh, is a show that to, like actually has productions that happen all around the world. But the the Minneapolis version of it I co-produce uh, with a, a man named uh, Reverend Matthew Kesson, who's also uh, a big horror and monster enthusiast uh, in town. Um, so you can find you can find that online as well. Um, uh, so many groups, so many more that I haven't even mentioned yet. Um, my next show uh, I, every year, I do a show called "A Very Die Hard Christmas" at the Bryant Lake Bowl. Um, and, so, and so we start we start rehearsals for "A Very Die Hard Christmas" uh, here in just the next few weeks. So it's a it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it is a Christmas movie, and it we is, very much make a it a, even more of a Christmas movie. Um, so like, I do like, I'm like Al the cop, but, uh, I, I, I actually puppeteer like a, like a giant snowman, like from Rudolph the red nosed reindeer as if he was Al the cop, uh, in Die Hard. So it's so good. Y'all it sells out every year. So if you're interested, get those tickets as soon as they're out at the BLB. Cause it's great. You won't, you won't regret it. That awesome. is fantastic. And Nissa, where can people find you on socials and winding sheet and uh, special when lit? Yeah, I, I'm a, a part my my company is Special When Lit. I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Special When Lit Theater, because if you don't know, Special When Lit is also a pinball reference. So if you just look up Special When Lit, you'll probably find a documentary about pinball because I love pinball. So it's not an accident. I love um, pinball, so, too. So, do, you, do you ever do you ever get over to uh, uh, a keg to and lit? case in, in St. Paul? I know, but I need to. I I've gone mostly to Blainbrook to Lit, which we was formerly yeah. Tilt. Um, mm-hmm. and then I play. Uh, uh, there was a oh, I forgot what it used to. SS, SS Billiards in St. Louis okay. Park. Bunnies. Any time out there is pinball. I also own a lot, like over twenty pinball machines. My you husband own prepares them. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. That's, they're they're that's... at Blue Sun Soda Shop. Go on up and you can play in the arcade. My husband, those are my husbands. Pinball is the vinyl of gaming. Yes. So you can find Special and Lit Theater um, on Facebook and Instagram. I don't have my own website yet. I'm working on it. Um, But I'm also on Minnesota Playlist if you look me up, Nissa Neuland Morgan. And if you want to contact me, you can also contact me through there. It'll send me a quick little email um and of course uh tc horror fest we have if you're looking to get more information uh directly um it, you can email duck or i there i'm artistic at tchorrorfestival.com and duck is info at tchorrorfestival.com if you have any questions yeah or if you want to see nissa covered in blood yes get on out to tc horror fest please come see ken uh, and all of our shows like all 11 shows are fantastic my particular show if you did like stabby stab stab we got winding sheet is doing uh a show oh my gosh can i say it correctly marie jean valet a defeats la bette du jevedon i think i might have did it (laughs) 
I might have done it. I do believe um, that is correct. Yes. And then um and then my show is Kin and uh but we are separate uh uh companies but if you like stabby you should do- totally cut- check out both but honestly everyone is fantastic we've been selling out shows this year like wildfire because the show is fire it uh, you know the whole festival lineup is is fantastic so i hope you'll come out fabulous thank you both for joining us this has been mouthing off 94.1 frogtown radio minnesota playlist badmouthtc.com. Come back anytime. Anytime you got a thing, we open door. 